morning, listeners and, and growers. Um, and this is on the menu with Ben and Peter Hay. Well, we hope it's on the menu with Peter Hay. The, the, gremlin, the gremlins have been playing with playing with the audio stream. Yeah, we're having some we've, trouble with audio. Well, well, we seem to be back together again, we hope. And, and we're going to be talking to um, a couple of farmers, gardeners, um, lamb growers. This is the time we're doing the pandemic. Old, old, old friends. And uh, what's the what's the word what's the word for telling stories? Storyteller. Storyteller. <laughs> John, John, he's not only a good friend; he's also a storyteller. And, uh, and and the news is that there's some some risk that the Jemison Farm business will change. They're even talking about retiring, although we don't think that. Well, I, I think. John and Suki will go out feet first, like yeah. like on the menu radio will. So, but but anyway, there are lots of great stories to tell, and here they are. Yes, we're we're talking to uh, dear friends and colleagues Su- Suki and John Jamison, uh, who created this enormous stir by announcing that they were going to retire. <laughs> this is like. Uh, Jamison Farm produces, like, the, in the top tier of organic lamb in the whole country, and, and they set off as a warm. Everybody has been getting back to you. Were you surprised at the reaction? Yes, I was. I, I was. It was, uh, it was really something. It was very humbling, uh, and uh, it... <laughs> Uh, I guess the funniest thing was that Suki sent out a uh, a mailer saying that we were going uh, that we were doing this, <clears throat> and we got about I would say a hundred emails back. But the first one was some guy who said, "I don't want to receive any more emails." <laughs> it was, it was <laughs> and then all the rest were, of course, saying how wonderful we were. It was. <laughs> It was very funny, but uh, yeah, we've gotten we've gotten a lot of um, uh, very nice responses, and uh, uh, some from special friends like um, um, uh, Verven uh, Paladin, who is uh, uh, who is Jean Louis Paladin's daughter, wrote and oh, yeah. said how important we were and and. Um, uh, and uh, Ariane Dagas wrote, uh, who owns D'Artagnan, and wrote and said it's a it's a chap a a chapter in culinary history is closed. And yes, this is true. I mean, you've left you're leaving this huge hole in southwestern Pennsylvania and across the whole country. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, my first reaction was panic. <laughs> it, I mean, well, you're, you're like one of the best things that that, that happened here. <laughs> oh, thank, well, thank you. you, thank you very much. It was very so. It, it's it's uh, uh, it, it was, we had a lot of misgivings, but uh, the, I think what everyone needs to understand, or and what we need to understand, is what we actually did. And what what we did was it was a pretty direct reaction. Um, which was not at all political, no matter what people think. I guess it's crazy how people look at these things. Oh yeah, uh, never thought about that at all. Oh, we it, we got all these political comments about. Oh no, it's crazy. But the but the fact is that we lost basically. Seven, we said sixty five percent or sixty percent in the paper, but. It was more like 70 to 80 percent of our regular business, weekly business, when the COVID shutdown occurred because we were shipping primarily to, I mean, we shipped to Pittsburgh restaurants, but the Pittsburgh restaurants that we were shipping to are not active. Right. And except one. Uh, and um, and the the restaurants we were selling to nationally, um, some are doing takeout, uh, a few, but uh, it's not enough 
to um, really affect the business. And so we have the the our our USDA plant to operate, and the overhead is uh, is substantial, and we just can't do it um, on on the business that we had. So the the pivot, all the new, the millennials call it pivoting. I know, it's pivot everything. Go ahead. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, so I pivoted, which I guess means I, I'm not as old as I thought I was. But anyway, <laughs> what, what the pivot is, is that uh, we we still have the plant and we're still operating the plant. But you probably know this in your business. There's a great need. Uh, The farmers around here, western Pennsylvania, have a great need for um, um, uh, processing space for their animals. They can't, they all complain that they can't get them processed and that they're, uh, they have to wait six to 12 months to get the animals processed. So, that long, we, really? Oh yeah, we had summer when we first started looking at this because we used to process for other people, and so it was a natural thing to do. And uh, it, I have a friend that has a plant in northern Pennsylvania that is his first available space is now March of 2022, and uh, so it's it's. Uh, it's, that's it's amazing. Yeah, it's it's a pretty dire situation. Is that but, because it's so expensive and labor intensive, or what? Oh, the reason. It, well, there are a few reasons. Number one, um, because of the issue with uh, with COVID nationally, uh, it's affected a lot of the um, of the large plants nationally. Yeah. And, well, yeah, that's that's true. It's very yeah. high risk at the large plant. That's right, and so what happened was it um, it caused a, a cease in production of those big plants, and so there was a new market that um, that arose, and everybody jumped into it. But also, it's just the uh, increase of people selling uh, meat at farm markets and CSAs, and and that. Uh, locally, and that that meat cannot be sold uh, unless it in, in that way unless it goes through a USDA plant. Which yours is, right? And, and ours is is in space a USDA plant. So it gave us a market to keep the plant operating. So that's the pivot that we did. So we have. Uh, beef and lambs, and we will have hogs lined up to process in the next uh, in the next couple weeks. In the meantime, we uh, we are making uh, our prepared products for the time being, uh, and uh, we we may be able to keep going with that. But to uh, do all the separate cuts like we had before is uh uh is not uh smart from a business standpoint because we don't have uh the restaurants taking those cuts on a regular basis. Well, do you think the restaurants are not going to come back or just is going to be too long? Well, I think I you know, I I don't know what you think. I I think it's going to be 6 months to a year. Oh, I think at least, yes. Yeah, and I mean, and then what are you supposed to do in the meantime? That's the problem. (laughs) And we're not young. I mean, so everybody knows I'm 73. I mean, this is not, I'll be 74 in a couple months, and this is not like we were bagging out of this when we were 55. Yeah, but as as we said before we started this recording, um, I was trying to remember about um, my great uncle's dairy farm, and farmers don't retire. He never retired. (laughs) It was only after he died that we sold the farm, you know. (laughs) That's usually when farmers retire. (laughs) 
I, I have a friend you, well, you may know Ron Gargas in Slippery Rock, and he said, sure, sure. He, he, he said he's retired, and I, I said, well, gee, that's surprising because you were so active, and he said, well, I want to smell the flowers before I push them up. <laughs> I think, I, think that, I think that's valid. Now, what we're doing, though, so you understand, so we're doing that with the plant. That's how we're operating the plant. That's that pivot. But we still have... When the you two- have somebody come in and operate the plant, right? You don't hand process anything yourselves. Well, we have a crew. We have a yeah, crew okay. there, but right. we still direct everything and do all of that. All the administration, and but but we also have the our farm, which is 212 acres with 150 fenced into 23 paddocks, and and we have 150 um, ewes, mothers, and they're bred, and and we'll have lambs in May, and we're going to build up our ewe flock, and so I mean we're still a sheep farm. It's just we aren't doing what we did before because of the of, of the business consequences. That's pretty much it. Well, so you're still going to have your lamb. Oh, yeah, we will. Now, how we're going to market and what we're going to do is yes. we aren't sure yet. It remains to be seen. Yes. Oh, because that's what I wanted to know, what you're going to do with that. Yeah. And, and so you're still working on that. Yeah. Right. Yes. As long so, as we have as long as we have the plant and it's operating, I can always have my lambs processed because I own it. <laughs> <laughs> now, are you still going to have these wonderful farm dinners and cooking classes and whatnot? I yes, think so yes. through the summer months, if you know, if COVID allows. I mean, last summer we had a few events, but not much, and people were very leery. So hopefully, it's going to get better. Right. Now, are you reducing? Are you reducing the size of your flock? No, we're increasing. If anything. Well, oh dear. So, what is it you're giving up? <laughs> what we're giving up is is so what we have been doing for twenty years is we we would we would buy lambs locally. And finish them here on our grass under under our total control the way that we do it, finishing yeah. them on grass. And then we would take those and finish them in a month or so or more or less. And then we would uh, take them to the plant, uh, slaughter and process, and then send all over the country every week for restaurants. And we were shipping to regular restaurants Ten restaurants a week, uh, easy, and and uh, at the end, we're I mean, we had regular orders with uh, with with Jose Andres at Saitenia, with Annie Quatrano at Bacchanalia, at Frank. Oh, did Annie. It. Yeah, and Frank. How is did. Annie? Wow, I haven't heard of her for a long time. Well, I don't know how she's she, doing now. I think it's... She had a string of restaurants, but I don't know how she's doing. I don't know how she's doing. And Frank was Frank was still buying at, at uh, one of his restaurants in Birmingham, Chez Fon Fon, but uh, it was takeout, yeah, right? It's yeah, it's takeout. Oh, wow. So that, that's the kind of thing. So all of that was going on, and we aren't doing that anymore. And... Um, uh, when we got the response uh, after the announcement, um, we got a bunch of orders, some of which we could supply, some not. So we're everybody will get taken care of, but it's going to take a while. But um, I told Suki that there's a local uh, furniture store in Latrobe that has a going out of business sale every three years. <laughs> I know some of those those right. furniture stores. I've known maybe, lots of those. Maybe maybe that's that's one way to drum up business. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. <laughs> Levin's lambs by Jameson. Right. <laughs> yes. Well, um, I mean, the, the reality of it is, um, if any retail customers want to come onto your website, can they still buy lamb? 
At this point, the website doesn't have much on it because I was overwhelmed by what everybody was ordering, so I took it down. (laughs) When things are available. We're going to, I'll put it back up, you know, when I get, I've been making pies and making soup and and all that kind of thing, and we're making sausages, so when I get them back in order, um, I'll put them back up there. Yeah, listeners, you really need to taste this. These sausages that they make, where Peter's hooked on them. So, um, uh, I just don't. The reason I don't want to give it up is because I don't want to lose my recipes. Those they're, are, they're so they're so good, and they're I mean they're perfect. And then and 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 about a month ago, Ruth Reichel on her blog wrote about our lamb pie, and said it was the best thing she ever had, or whatever. She loved it. And so then we got this big hit of the lamb pies, and then this happens. But anyway, <laughs> but things like the lamb pies and the sausages is, I mean, that would be what we would, if we go back into doing anything, which we probably will, uh, in limited amounts, that would be which the direction that we would. Because the other, with the cuts, it's too dependent on, on the the business, the volume of business coming from restaurants. So, so, the, so John, the, uh, the 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 lamb shanks that we had the other day, I guess they're they're a finale, huh? <laughs> for the for the moment. Yeah. Okay. Listen, we had we had four lamb monstrous lamb shanks, and we ate them for a week. Well, oh, I didn't eat them for a week. <laughs> no, Peter kept meditating because we had already gotten your um, your your letter saying you're retiring. He was meditating over our lamb shanks about how good they were. <laughs> That's great. Now, um, you know, people may wonder, you know, like, uh, we're sort of coming into almost the end, but except it's not really the end, but... Um, it, the story, listeners, John, by the way, is a great storyteller, and Sugu, by the way, has fabulous recipes. Um, tell us, talk to us about the book. We could, how do we get that book now? It's called Coyotes in, in the Fields and um, um, and um, Wolf in the Door. How did that yeah, uh, coyotes in the pastures and wolf at the door. How did that title come up? Whose idea was that? We thought about the title twenty years ago because we had we had coyotes in the pasture that we we had a well in one of the chapters I I um, I, I uh, wrote about a, a dog attack that we had. It wasn't a coyote; it was a dog. But you still, but we still have coyotes that come in. That specific story with dogs, but we. So that's a problem that you have on the farm, dealing with the farm. These natural things that you have to deal with every day in farm life. But then when you're trying to put together a business, you're fighting bankers and financial people and regulators and everybody else, and that's the wolves at the door. And so that that we can never get financing uh, for what we did because we were when we first started talking to banks, they, the only farmers that the banks would fund were dairy farmers because they had a weekly milk check and they also had uh, stainless steel equipment for the milk tanks that they could collateralize easy easily. So they would, when I told the bankers the first time that I was going to sell lamb through the mail, I know I, <laughs> two or three. I had to pick one up off the floor because he was rolling around. <laughs> and, and, and now, of course, if, uh, if if we did anything, I will say this at the risk of being immodest. <laughs> if we did anything, it was the fact that now. A young farmer can go to a bank and say, I have a CSA. Well, he can't because of the COVID thing right now, but forget that for a minute. Yes. And I sell to this restaurant in Pittsburgh or that, any of the, you know, I sell to 
to um, any, any of the good restaurants in Pittsburgh, and I sell to them on a regular basis, he can probably get a deal. And But 30 years ago, we couldn't do that. And and that was what, if anything, we've changed a bit, and that's nice. Now, I, you mentioned young farmers. Uh, one of the things that I've been reading is a lot of the young farmers are, are starting out, um, uh, that there's been sort of a, a new chapter in, in this farming world. I mean, is it true or not? I don't know what you mean. I don't know I what meant, are, are there a lot of, of young people now taking up farming? Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, I think there are. I think that's been going on for a while. Um, uh-huh. It's uh, it's certainly more than it was when we started. I mean, we were just we were just nutcases, and you know, <laughs> we did. And and really, the story in the book, the story of the book, and the story of what we. What we accomplished, I think, is uh, what I was saying in one article is that um, I saw, um, you know, so Jean-Louis discovers this. His Daniel always said Jean-Louis Paladin was doing farm to table before it had a name. That's true. And when I talked to Norman Van Aken, Suki and I were having, he was cooking for us actually at a, at a dinner in uh, in Florida, in Miami, and uh, he was saying he was writing a book, which is a good book, and, and I was writing, I told him I was going to write this book, and I said, well, this is our approach. I said, what is your approach and how are you looking at it? I, I said, um, uh, what, what's your approach and what are you thinking? I'm being redundant. And, but anyway, he said, he said, all we were trying to do was change the world. <laughs> and he was right. Yeah. And so all of us, you think of, we were all the same age, so Jean-Louis would be 74. Alice, is pro- Alice Waters is probably, she's 74, somewhere, five, three, who knows. Yeah. And um, <laughs> we, were, we were all the same age, and we were all kind of children in the hip of the 60s. And uh, and Alice Alice still is a hippie, yeah, and she really is. And so you had all these people that were that were uh, crazy who were American chefs, but they were influenced by the young French chefs that were coming in. The first wave probably being Jean Louis, and then ten years younger than he would be Danielle and Danielle. And all those guys, and and it was just, it was so much fun because yeah. everybody was getting in, was was learning and trying different things, and and uh, the the chefs were looking for um, the best producers and vice versa, and it was that was fun. Now, none of your kids would be interested in doing what you did, huh? No, no. Yeah, that's the problem. You know, we were, t- we, were, we were talking about selling the plant or something, and someone told me, well, you know, it's not, it's not easy to sell a business that may be profitable, but it's too much work. <laughs> <laughs> that's no. the problem. I mean, with no. farming, you have to, you have to love it or... Oh, no. uh, yeah. it, it doesn't make a difference. But the only the only one that would be at all interested probably would be my daughter Eliza, the chef. But she's a chef, uh, yeah. Yeah, but I I don't. She's too busy being a chef. <laughs> tell our listeners what what is it that makes uh, Jamison Lamb different? I mean, it's it's management of the grass, but it's a it's a variety of other things that, that really cause your lamb to right. just be tenderer and tastier and all of the above. Well, thank how you. you. How did you how, how did you figure that out? Did you get a book out of the library? No, no. Actually, the way we figured it out, one of the ways we figured it out was with Julia Child. Um, the story I always tell that we sent her like Easter lamb. Yeah, and and it was tough, and we figured out why it was tough when we just bought our plant. 
And so we we worked with Dr. Mills at uh, Penn State and figured out how to take okay, care of got it, got it. a condition called cold shortening. And so we did that. But at the but at the same time, rather than that story, which I've told over and over, is that it, the lamb's young and it's it's raised on grass, and we control everything through the plant. Because we were really, we've really basically been vertically integrated, you say, in business since we bought the plant in '94. That has made that 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 made a big difference. Well, it, it certainly is special. The, I think you're kind of right to, to speculate that we may never be back at that point in, in the restaurant industry. Um, that that we with that right now, it's going to be a long time before we get back. I mean, I, I don't know how many uh, restaurateurs and chefs have lost their restaurants permanently as a result of this COVID thing. London is really badly hit. It's really bad. Uh, of course, Pittsburgh's even been badly hit. But um, um, yes. so so um, you you never answered my question about how people get your book. Oh, I'm sorry. We got off in something else. The, so the it's still uh, available on the web. It's still available on the web. So the best okay. way to, it's on Amazon, but it's it's probably easiest is is just order it on the uh, on our website and it's available. And uh, when we send it out, it's signed. so uh, it's better well, that it, way. It's it's wonderful, uh, John. It's so much you and Suki. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a, an extra benefit, of course, if, if people know you and read the book. But it's full of wonderful stories and all kinds of luminaries, which are part of your life. Yeah. Um, now, you, you said in one of these articles that you wrote that you were going to be maybe doing more writing. Now, I don't know where you're going to get any more time. I mean, it sounds to me like you still have a full plate, as we, if you don't mind the pun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, what kind of writing? You, you mentioned something about um, regenerative farming and all kinds of stuff. Right. I said, well, there there's a lot of interest right now. Especially politically, uh, interestingly enough, I I never realized I was that kind of radical. But what so what <laughs> is really funny is that uh, uh, five years ago or ten years ago, with rotational grazing, uh, we were uh, causing an ozone layer problem because of flatulence from animals. Yeah, now, I'm right about that. Yeah. Now we find that because I'm doing uh, rotational grazing and habit, we've never we've never broken the soil on the farm. It's really? totally pasture, never, never in thirty. And so we were doing regenerative agriculture really uh, before there was a name for it. Actually, Bob Rodale. Uh, uh, coined it in the in the late seventies. We bought, we'd already been doing it, and uh, but but anyway, what we're finding now is that because we're doing intense rotational grazing, we are uh, sequestering carbon into the soil, and oh, so yeah. there's a lot of interest in that, and there's a lot of interest other farmers have in potentially selling carbon credits from the farm. And, so, and I don't know if we do that or not, but there's a yeah, lot. I don't of quite understand that. I mean, I've read about that people are going to be pulling carbon out of the atmosphere, extra carbon. Have, yeah, I have no. It's kind of like you know uh, what we were talking earlier about Bitcoin. I have no. I don't understand <laughs> how it works. But it's. Uh, but anyway. Uh, I'm going to write. I'm probably going to write about that. But but I also have a lot more stories about the. I mean, the book was about a third of the stories I have. I have some good ones and juicier ones. But oh, that'd be uh, fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's fun. It was fun. Yeah. Well, anyhow, uh, listeners, um, how about giving us the website and um, and 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 the name of your book again? 
Okay, the book is Coyotes or Coyotes in the Pasture and Wolves at the Door. And the website is www.jamisonfarm, J-A-M-I-S-O-N-F-A-R-M, singular, Singular. Dot com. Yeah, dot com. Well, I'm feeling a little bit better that you guys are not really just sort of disappearing on me, so this is great. Oh, no. I'm glad we had a chance to talk about it and clarify that. Thank uh, and, you. And, and, and Suki, if, if you please, could you send me some recipe for what to do with these ribs, the, uh, the slab of uh, baby ribs? <laughs> No, yeah, the riblets, yes. Wonderful. Okay. All online, it tells me I have to cook them for four to six hours. <laughs> well, so. low and slow, I always say that. <laughs> yeah. Well, we love you, and I'm, I'm so glad that, that, you know, that you're going to keep involved with things, and um, and we'll talk again soon. I hope so. Great. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks you, too. Love you both. Yes, Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Welcome back. Next up, we're going to be talking to Joseph Dikonovich. Well done, boy. That's do it again. And the, the book we're going to be talking about is the comic book guide to growing food. And it is a it is a comic book. It is a comic book. At least it's a picture book. It's a picture, um, it's a picture book. Yeah, but they call it the title is the comic book guide to growing food. Uh, we're at um, a stage now during the pandemic where we're all starting to think. I guess we did last summer too about growing our own food, and it's become very apparent that not many of us have really grown up knowing that. I mean, I did, but that's because my family were gardeners. Um, I, I'm not so much one. But anyhow, this book is enjoyable. Um, it's, it, it looks like it's easy reading, but you'd be absolutely amazed at how much you learn from it. It's very informative and entertaining. And uh, I, oh, oh, no, I just loved it. And it's, it's like... Uh, it comes out of uh, a whole lineage of, of picture books, but this being for adults, and, and of course the rage for manga, the Japanese uh, um, illustration. You think books. that had something? You think yeah. that had something to do? With oh that? yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. a huge trend. But listen to Joe and Liz talk about. All these tips they're giving you, so you're going to be prepared to rush out there, turn the soil, and grow your own. Well, the first thing you're going to do is buy a copy of the book. Yeah. And, uh, and then, then you'll be off to a good start. And, and, and Joseph, JosephGardens.com is where you go if you have any questions that on the menu radio can't answer. Well, I have such a good time reading this book <laughs> it's the comic book guide to growing food and i mean I, I was just totally enthralled with it we're going to be talking to the authors uh joseph joseph tykonovich and liz kozik did i do that right liz kozik but close enough kozik okay 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 and then I got, I, got, I got news for you joe and liz she just liked the pictures <laughs> okay, as the artist, I very much appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, all the, the, yeah. I, I just thought that it was just adorable. The whole thing was just wonderful. I'm going to start off um, by saying that it's very timely because uh, everybody suddenly seems trying to, to try to do to garden to grow their own food, uh, and. There's a lot that people don't know about growing food because we've been so removed from the land for so long. Um, but first of all, I guess the first thing that comes to mind as motivation for this book is that it is a timely subject, gardening. The second question I have, because that comes to mind, secondly, is why put it in the form of a, uh, a comic book? 
Well, I I wanted to do a, a gardening book for, for beginners. Like you said, there's a lot of interest in vegetable gardening right now, and I think it can be really overwhelming. If you've never gardened before, if you, know, you didn't grow up gardening with your parents or something, it can be hard to figure out how to get started. Yeah, and so you've written like a number of books on gardening anyhow, haven't you? Yes, I have, yeah. And, and the previous books have been traditional, you know, regular books with lots of words and very few, you know. Um, and so it was fun to do this version of the graphic, the, the comic book version of it, because um, I felt like it was a way to make it really fun, like you said. It's, it's fun to read. It's easy to, to get access to. And I hoped it would, like, reach out to people who felt a little just overwhelmed by all the other, you know, the gardening information to make it really accessible and enjoyable to get into the basics of gardening. So, but why a comic book? I mean, is that something that people relate to now better than just print? Well, it is like a whole, the, the genre of graphic novel um, has really taken off a lot, you know, in recent years. It used to be comic books were just, you know, uh, funny, and now there's a whole genre of comic books that are nonfiction. They're teaching how to do things. They're telling stories. Um, yeah. So I think it's a really Does interesting Does that come from the way. Japanese? I don't know. I mean, America. certainly the manga, the Japanese comic book, yeah, has are more... I think that may be part of what got popular in the United States, yeah. Um, so the Japanese manga comic books, but it's a really it's a really growing area. Um, and I did, like you said, I think it's really fun to read. So it's a really appealing way. It to was do fun to read, and and you know you may d design this for beginning gardeners, but um, there, there's I mean I grew up with gardening, and there's a lot of information here that I'm sure. Um, even people with gardening experience uh, will find fresh. Yeah, that was that was really my goal. Um, it, it's it's I think it's I like the combination of it's fun to read and it's visual, but actually there's a lot of information packed into there. So you will actually learn a lot um, reading it, but hopefully have fun and a good time doing it. Now, well, is it is it you in the comic strip? Is it you and Liz in the strip? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, We're on the very last page. <laughs> I was going to, I was going to contemplate how, how, how wonderful you look. <laughs> We're in there on page one hundred and sixty-seven, and nowhere. We're in the party scene. <laughs> you know, the thing that's amazing to me is that you these cartoon figures. Uh, the characters uh, have so much personality. I mean, they're, they're really full-rounded figures. And, I um, mean, you, you seem to work very well together, the two of you. Um, yeah, I think we, it was a really great collaboration. Um, I came to the publisher with the idea for the book, and they were looking for um, <clears throat> And so when Liz, you know, they found Liz, I, the, it worked really, really great. Um, I remember there was a lot of discussions about what the characters would look like and stuff, and often Liz would send drawings of, like, what she thought, you know, George was going to look like. Like, that's exactly what I had in mind. Um, <laughs> and so that was really fun, yeah. And I, I guess – and she did a great job, I think, you know, giving them personality. Maybe, maybe Oh, they were full more personalities. How, I mean, I felt like yeah. they were real characters that I knew, you know. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it was fun. And the other fun. thing that was – so great is that you you managed to set up this play of um, the younger um, Mia uh, and, and her technology knowledge against the older, experienced gardener with his gardening knowledge. And and you have all these other contrasts. You have a young white girl and an older black guy, and and. You cover so much ground, <laughs> and they share. They give each other reciprocal information, and I love that. Yeah, part of yeah, what we thought about when we were planning this book was um, thinking in terms of, I'll say people my age, our age, uh, who maybe haven't had a lot of gardening experience and may find, like, the whole thing alienating and intimidating, especially in, like, more urban areas, and so um, trying to approach this book so it's accessible and inviting to that age group was part of the plan. 
Yeah, I mean, he's constantly surprised when he finds her locating information on her cell phone. And, I mean, I I don't want to kill the whole (laughs) conclusion, but she ends up producing wonderful uh, produce and vegetables, a wonderful garden, and and he ends up uh, buying a cell phone (laughs) and learning about that, (laughs) which uh, is a perfect, perfect uh, you are, by the way, the, Joe, the, and list, talking, talking to two congenitally failing gardeners. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because I come from this great gardening uh, family. I mean, I was raised on, on garden, organic garden produce, you know, from our own garden. And uh, that was my mother, who died a number of years ago now. Um, and I must be the only one in our family who doesn't have a green thumb. Yeah, no, <laughs> so it's one of those things. Uh, but Peter and I have struggled to, to garden. And, and reading this book, I said, you know, the real way to do this is to do this container gardening and the raised bed gardening. Otherwise, we're going to fail. I mean, it's just <laughs> and then you give all this information about like seeds versus plants. I mean, I didn't know where I got that in my head, but it's probably just because of exposure. So, I mean, just tradition. Uh, I knew what we grew from seeds and what we got. The small plants for, although mostly my mother grew everything from seeds starting indoors. I think there was only one month of the year that she didn't devote to gardening. It was January. <laughs> so yeah, I really um, wanted to, I wanted the information that a beginner would need to get started, and, and trying to think about if you've never gardened before, like. You don't know, you know, anything. So I really wanted to make sure that if you've never had a garden before, you can pick up this book and have everything you need to be successful, you know, the, all the basics. Well, you so did. Really you, to, you hit just yeah. about everything. Um, yeah. I mean, so, you did. And, and I like these cheat sheets. Yeah. Tell us about the this cheat sheets. a fantastic sheets. Top, job with the cheat sheets. <laughs> who who, who yeah. did? <clears throat> Oh, I did, for drawing them. Um, it was a fun collaboration, figuring out how, what is the smallest amount of information and how can we convey that in an accessible way. Um, I think Joseph was the one who came up with the idea for the cheat sheets, and they, um, I mean, like, they're so useful. I use them. <laughs> when I need to go back and double check, or even to double check, wait, like, how do I draw Rosemary again? I can always flip back to those pages. Yeah, but, yeah, I, I think... Yeah. A part of what's so wonderful about gardening, especially uh, coming from where I've lived, the city of Chicago and Madison, Wisconsin, um, community gardens are like a space where, (laughs) outside of COVID, um, they're multi-generational spaces where we can all learn from each other. And I love that this book and Joseph's writing has set up this, like, this is what gardening is like. You don't need to be related to someone to learn from them, and um, you don't need to only talk to someone your age or someone who looks like you. And yeah. um, at least my and my friends' experiences with community gardens have been exactly that. And so I, I love that we were able to um, create a first-time gardening that doesn't require you to have your own land and talking uh-huh. about containers and community gardens and what have you. Yeah, there's um, a food writer in uh, in London um, who did a whole book called Lots. I can't remember what the, the Alan Jenkins, he, he edits, what does he edit? Rabbit. He, he's, he's, the, he's the editor-in-chief of the Observer Food Monthly, which is a, a, a weekly, comes out on Sunday, all about, all about food and drink. Yeah. So, but his he used this community garden theme, and that's what the, this lot number, whatever it was, is to actually tie the whole book together and 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 um, his experiences in it and what it did for for him in terms of moving the plot along. This is interesting. You might enjoy it. 
Yeah, oh, yeah, I think I think they wouldn't. I think they would enjoy it. Yeah, Alan Jenkins. Yeah. Anyhow, um, that's it. I mean, I finally realized why my um, what what were those plants? The um, not New Zealand. What what plants? The the pine rabbit. The the big plants I I got and. What's all this trouble finally having them transplanted? Do you know what I mean? Um, anyhow, they were, I kept them in a small pot because they were so big. They were like six feet, over six feet tall. I mean, way over six feet tall. And and I, I paid to have um, a gardening expert come and, and finally and put them into a, a bigger pot. And, and they died. And I never realized why until I read this book when you explained about having the, the roots all clumped up and everything that you can't. So now I know why. Uh, I mean, I, I should have pruned the roots, I guess. Yeah, I think like the, the technique of pruning the roots is something that a lot of people don't know about. And that's something, there's something I feel like... Um, there's been more research fairly recently, actually, on how beneficial it is to do some of that root pruning before you plant stuff. So that's something that may be new to sort of more experienced gardeners, but it's actually a simple technique that helps plants, like, settle in and, and grow a lot faster. Yeah, no, well, I never, never even thought about it. Well, I never knew why these things. They were very big plants, and they were in these teeny little pods. <laughs> why they didn't spread out. Now I know. <laughs> so, I, I, and I think I, the I think the section on root pruning is like a really great example of why making this a comic was way useful and educational. I think yeah. this was one of the pages we thought a lot about. Whereas this was most pages, it was just like, okay, Joseph wrote a saying, he gave some guidance on what plants look like, and then I just drew it. But this is one uh, the root pruning where we were like. Okay, I drew this. Does this look right? Oh no, his finger should be underneath here. And what if you cut this angle? <laughs> okay. And like, so, and I'm like, I'm really, it's one of my favorite pages, honestly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For um, just these careful small things that are hard to put into words, but in images, you can convey that information in a way that's not so scary, I hope. For first time. Yeah, the, the, um, it, it, we're in. Pittsburgh, and it gets really cold. It means it's really cold right now. Um, and I guess the reason that we've always put things in the ground instead of you propose the best thing are these um, these uh, uh, what do you call them the raised beds that you mm-hmm. built out of wood, and that makes sense to me. I think um, I mean aside from not having to, to bend over so much. The idea that you get clean soil in there and all that stuff, but in our climate, um, the the, um, the perennials freeze in the winter. If you do that, if you put them in the raised beds, they're protected. If you put them in the ground, yeah, with the in, con, perennials in containers, yeah, can suffer more for the winter. But most vegetables are you're just growing for the summer, and the raised beds. Um, I really. I thought there's like lots of different ways to make it, many different ways to do it. Um, and I really thought about like what, I didn't want to overwhelm the reader with lots of different options. I wanted to give them like one technique that I felt like was going to help them be successful. And I really went with the, the technique I suggested with the raised beds because it will help you minimize the amount of weeds. And I think a lot of beginner vegetable gardeners, they start a vegetable garden and then the weeds come on and they get overwhelmed yeah. and they give up. So I really, I said, minimize the weed problem so you're not spending all summer just pulling weeds, pulling weeds, pulling weeds, but bringing in clean soil and putting down mulch and a raised bed so that you actually, you know, can enjoy the plants more rather than just being overwhelmed by the weed seeds that are going to be in your regular soil. Yeah, well, we we have a serious weed problem I just discovered because I've been having people come in and, and dig up the garden and, um, and, and mulch it and do all that stuff. And I now, for the first time in my life, discovered a Japanese knotweed in the front garden. Ooh, yes. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> and I mean, there are these funny weeds that I never had in like 
40 years, and all of a sudden they're, they're there. And I think that came from the mulch that um, the people used. Yeah, we're, we're oh. really good at growing weeds. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, everybody's good at growing weeds. Everybody's good at growing weeds. <laughs> that's a great green thumb at work. It's got to work on which exactly. plants. <laughs> you know, I, I, I loved your thing about the pests, particularly. Um, I, I have no idea why, but we used to have a huge garden when I was growing up, and we had hundreds of tomato plants. And my job was picking those ugly worms off of the plants. <laughs> <laughs> but we've never had tomato worms or whatever they're called at our current residence. Why? Oh, so it really depends on, you know, where you are in the country and then also what's the environment around you. Um, so tomato worms, you know, they, you know, if there's in more urban areas, sometimes you have less. It can be really unpredictable. Um, but one of the things I really liked about the section on the pest is we do talk about some specific pests, but we also show how Mia is able to identify pests using her phone. Like if you oh, yeah, that was search cute. for but it works it works really well. If you see an insect on a plant and you don't know what it is and you just put a description of what you're seeing and the plant it's on into like a Google image search, and then you can just scroll through the images so you find an insect that matches. It works really well, and I think it's a great technique for people who are like beginner gardeners. You see something in your plant, you don't know what it is. Um, that simple technique of just like searching, you know, black and orange bug, you know, um, into a Google image search, um, it can really it works really really well to help you figure out what that insect is. And then once you know what it is, then you can e easily find out you know what you need to do about it if it's a problem and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, what uh, the these uh, uh, what's the name of the the thing that got in the zucchini plants, the borer, what, what is that well, thing? Oh, yeah, squash vine borer yeah. on zucchini. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it struck us, and then it struck the whole neighborhood. Everybody had it. Yeah, it can be a real, it can be a real pain because it's just like your zucchini is growing along looking perfect, and then it just, like, collapses overnight Gone. when the, the squash, the vine borers get into it. Yeah, that's a... Um, yeah, but that's speaking of, of to, what to do with the, um, who was it we were interviewing about zucchini, and uh, she was from some place where there was a farming state or something, and she said, uh, in in the summer there's so many zucchinis that you don't dare park your car with the windows open <laughs> because some you come back and find a whole mess of zucchini in your car. <laughs> Yeah, she was, when zucchinis she was are happy, you're going to have more than you can eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you also get into what to do with um, preserving the harvest, which I thought was a very good thing to do. Yeah, I did a, a little bit. I mean, we, obviously, there's there's endless things you can do with fresh produce, but I wanted to just share a few ideas about how to, you know, things to cook with it. And then I really like that we end the meal, this, her celebrating her garden and sharing the food with her friends um, and the community because to me that's, you know, there's lots of ways to get fresh vegetables, but there's, I think there's a great, there's a lot of joy in growing your own and being able to celebrate with people, other people, you know, the things that you grow in your garden. So I really like that ending, um, you know, yep. the, the the scene at the end that. I know it was Liz's favorite thing to illustrate of everybody's kind of Okay, the party that. wasn't. <laughs> the party took a no joke a week to finish that page, but the food was so much fun to draw. And I, I've never thought of my, you know, I think of myself as a plant illustrator, but um, these these clean, simple recipes like Joseph put together, um, they were just, I, I, you know, it's a nice way to end the book. I love that final chapter just as, so joyful and bright, and um, all that community. Yeah, what? What? Who is it with a really wonderful sense of humor between the two of you? Or do you, do you share that as well? I think we share that pretty well because I feel like you know I tried to write, I tried to make it funny and some jokes in the script, and then Liz definitely picked up on them and I think illustrated them really, really well. So I think that's a place where um, we, we definitely connected really nicely. Yeah. Team well, effort. That's, that's, also, that makes it fun, too, the fact that there's so much humor in it. I mean, you can read this and you're learning stuff, but you giggle, too. 
<laughs> I'm upset. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> it made us laugh, you know? Humor is such a hard thing to nail. I know. And and I'm so glad that you called out Johnny's Select C's because I use them all the time. <laughs> yeah, they're really they're great. Good. Source. They are a yeah. great, great source. And a lot of so, information, too. Yeah. You you do have resources. I think we ought to pull pull out that you have a section on resources, which are really useful for people beginning and even moving on from that. Yeah, yeah. I was hoping because uh, I thought of this book as getting people through their first gardening year, and then I wanted to, you know, after that, hopefully they had fun and wanted to learn more. So I wanted to point them in directions of other things they might want to try and books they might want to read because um, I think once you get the gardening bug, you know, hopefully the next year they're going to do more and, and, and different things in the garden. Yeah, there were some things that I thought I knew and I didn't know until I picked up the book. Um, <laughs> you know, like it was just automatic, things to grow from seed, things to grow from um, plants, the seedlings, you know, and, uh, and that yeah. depends, of course, on where you are too. I loved your little... Um, thing on the sun about reversing it for because um, we used to live in Australia <laughs> reversing it for with the, the kangaroo for down under <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I never even thought of that to tell you the truth we actually lived there and I never thought of it I don't think I gardened in Australia though did I rabbit you used to pick what one of those little yellow citrus fruits Oh, the prickly pears. That was awful. I mean, no, I no, to... no, not, not the prickly pears. <laughs> oh, oh, I know, from the trees in our yard. Yeah, they were. They yeah, what were those? I've... Kumquats, was it? Kumquat, kumquats. Kumquats, yeah. yes. Yeah, we got lots, we got lots of kumquats. <laughs> but I used to also poach from other people's um, patches um, prickly pears. Prickly pear cactus, nice. yeah. I, until oh, really? I realized that you got covered with these little itchy, horrible, stinging oh, things. Horrible. <laughs> they never but they're come so out tasty. Yeah, but I love them so paid, much. They paid the price for theft. <laughs> well, yeah. Have, have I, you I had any pears, kind but... of reaction to people reading this book? I think the reaction we've gotten the most is people being surprised at how much they're learning, yes. <laughs> which is really satisfying. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the sense is like, oh, I thought this was just going to be like a pretty thing. I actually, I actually learned something. How did you do that? <laughs> which, is, which is why I love comics so much, because they're so enjoyable to read and they're non-threatening. But then by the end, you're like, wait a second, you just tricked me into learning. <laughs> no. Anyhow, I, I think the book is wonderful, and and I would recommend it to anybody. I mean, I think that even if you you know more about gardening than the absolute basic beginner, you'll, you'll get things you never thought of out of this book. Again, listeners, it's the comic book guide to growing food, and I, I thank you authors for, for talking to us about it, and thank you for writing it. I mean, I'm, I'm very pleased with it. <laughs> <laughs> you do with it, I'm pleased. <laughs> and I hope you well, are thank too. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah, yeah thank you so ask, much. Do you, Do you have a website or a, or a podcast of any kind where people can refer particularly difficult issues? Um, so my website is josephgardens.com, and there's Joseph yeah, if people Gardens. want to ask me questions there, they can contact me at josephgardens.com, and then you can find right. me on Instagram and. Facebook and all those things too. If you just search Joseph me. Singular, no, not apostrophe S. No, Joseph Gardens. Gardens. Not Joseph. Yeah. But also, if you just given my last name is so strange, if you just put my name right. into Google, you'll find me pretty easily. There's, yeah, yeah. there's only one Joseph Iconovich out there. No, the so. test is spell it. Just copy it off the front page and you'll find me. Yeah, you, you, you noticed that I managed to avoid attempting as <laughs> the sign-off. Yeah, we're, we're, listeners, we're not, we're not going to try and spell it out, but if you go to the description of the show, and it's spelled out carefully there. 
Well, I think that's a wrap again for this week. And we'll be back, same time, same place. And I hope you will be too. And until then, bye-bye. Indeed, bye-bye from Peter too.